and welcome to the edition podcast with me, Charlotte Henry. Uh, Business to business, B2B publishing is a big but all too often overlooked segment of the media. Might not be quite as sexy as some of the big name consumer facing brands, but it really, really matters. The Audiences is a new publication aimed at those who run such all sorts of publications. Joining me is Editor-in-Chief Madeline White. Hi, thank you for joining me, Madeline. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I feel no, honoured to be no, here. No, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to have you, except I'm going to open up the, you know, break the fourth wall a bit. We were chatting before <laughs> and Madeline revealed that we've both been to the same university, except she only graduated like three years ago and I now feel <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly thoroughly old so I'm just <laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned anything <laughs> uh and she went to the rival co- it's all it's a whole thing anyway me and my age in my age of decrepitude we're going to crack on because there's a lot to discuss yes because well why don't you explain what the audiences is yeah so um the audiences is a b2b media for digital publishing professionals to make better decisions when it comes to engaging converting and retaining their audiences So um, we only launched in October of last year. We are a baby publication, but we've um, just seen a huge, we saw a huge gap in the market before, and we're seeing this flourish um, since having launched. Um, We publish content on a variety of subjects, but around the idea of reader revenue. So um, we have one section that's about decision-making. So what should the overall strategy be for digital publishers? The operational, like the day-to-day tasks that publishers should be completing in order to succeed in this industry and inspiration from um, benchmarks and case studies to really create this knowledge sharing environment. So people start learning from each other because one publisher may have had such challenge one challenge and found a solution and another publisher has the same challenge but hasn't yet found the solution and vice versa and we're all kind of quite tempted aren't we in our little silos to try and keep all our secrets to ourselves exactly yeah but actually there's not a lot of competition at the end of the day if you're publishing um content on a um specific niche then your audience is your audience and and half of your audience aren't going to go elsewhere with a completely different niche, or they might subscribe to both. You um, you can, I think that we should stop thinking about competition as much in media and start sharing. Yeah, and there's also an argument, I guess, that a, a, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. If people are more accustomed to getting newsletters from publishers or you know all the different practices, then actually it benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should exactly. say that the audiences comes from pool, which is P. Yes. Uh, three O's L <laughs> it's a kind of you pitch it as the course sort of complete online publishing suite don't you mm-hmm. uh, so we should just give us a quick insight to that not an ad but just so people understand yeah where you're course. coming from with the publication yeah so um when I started full-time at Paul two and a half years ago um I was in charge of the blog I was content marketing um, for this French company, Paul. Um, I was the in-house Brit, as I say, um, the only English-speaking person in the company. And we started doing content marketing and um, it was going really well. It was very successful. We're sharing expertise. And um, then this time last year, we realized that we could go further with it and that there was this huge gap in the market for a, a B2B media on audience development especially with the digital transformation and all of the changes that have happened in the past 20 plus years. And um, so Paul is a membership and subscription suite. So um, it deals directly with paywalls, subscription, reader revenue, which is what we talk about the audiences. And um, we are very careful to find this balance between 
all in the audiences. Um, we want to share expertise to support our clients and the tools and obviously for client acquisition, but at the end of the day as well for, for the entire publishing industry. Yeah, I mean, the cynical question I would ask is, is the audiences just PR for the suite of services? Is that a bit me? Well, it's a, it's a, I think it's the big question of brand publishing in general, mm. which is a huge trend at the moment, um, or it has been for a while. Um, and I would say that we're not content marketing, which is PR, which is we're not talking about just pool clients. We publish content from a range of different publishers around the world, and we try to draw this line somewhere to to not always promote pool um but at the end of the day we we're promote we're, we're sharing expertise that we also support with our tools so it's complementary at the end of the day uh, and i suppose we're at in a situation now where all companies brands do have to create in some way if you look mm -hmm. you know whether it's Duolingo and the create, you know, the creative chaos of their TikTok feed or yep. whatever else, I, I guess there is an argument, despite my cynicism, that <laughs> you know companies have to create as well. Yeah, and at the end of the day, um, we can sell the tools, the technology with Paul, but if publishers don't have the expertise as well to then be able to use those tools, then there's no point having the tools in the first place, and vice versa. So it's complementary, and I think the way to look at it is not that I don't want to read the audiences because they're going to sell me stuff. It's actually they're going to help support our strategy and help us succeed. And if you already have the tools, then and those are going well, and you're succeeding with that, then fine, we can support with the expertise and vice versa. So um, that's the way we we try to look at it. Um, and on a broader level, what are you trying to achieve? You talked about, you know, spreading the expertise, which I totally get. Mm -hmm. uh, but what else is the point? When you created the audiences, you took it from a kind of in-house, as you described it, content marketing blog yeah. to a more traditional looking publication, if it comes, mm -hmm. even if it comes from a company. Uh, yeah. what, what, what was the plan? What are you trying to achieve with the audiences? So obviously content marketing for, for Paul um but also i guess nurturing this knowledge sharing filling this gap that is is in the publishing industry i think um there's been a lack of talk around um dynamic strategies for instance or um registration and these kind of things that we've been talking about for a while on pool um on the pool blog and um these alternative digital strat reader revenue strategies that are only just emerging or some publishers have been trying them for a while and and just need the strategies to succeed so at the end of the day it's also for the sustainability of digital publishers and the future of digital publishers to survive online and overcome all of these challenges that they're facing at the moment which uh we could go on for ages about a list of challenges and um every day i'm i'm talking to newsletter subscribers and they're telling me different things and i'm saying oh yeah we should write content about it but that would take me ages <laughs> to try and um solve all of these challenges and and find solutions but we're working through them gradually <laughs> yeah and I, I mean there's a lot to work through as we've discussed in lots of episodes of this mm -hmm. show um, I mean, you bring me to a question actually that is obviously relevant to me because of the edition newsletter. But yeah. what is 
that the newsletter the central thing now do you what do you see as the place of newsletters as a whole in digital publishing i think they're an incredibly valuable engagement strategy and they play an important role in every step of a user's journey a reader's journey in their relationship with a publication so um they are valuable for acquiring new new readers for engaging these readers and getting them increasingly um coming to the website more frequently more uh, reading more content each time as well as then for retaining subscribers and um one thing that we talk a lot about on the audiences is these soft engagement soft conversion steps so um this idea of one size fits all strategy it should be kind of non-existent now but it's still the case for a lot of publishers you arrive on a site and you're presented with the paywall whether you come to that website every single day or whether it's your first time on the website but instead i think newsletters and registration free membership play an integral role in that engagement those engagement steps prior to the paywall and we've seen publishers employing what we call newsletter walls which is actually what we use on the audiences to block content and it's a different kind of kind of value exchange you block content and you ask users to sign up to your newsletter in exchange for access to content the idea being that by signing up to your newsletter they're increasingly exposed to your content they can see more value they can see what you're offering and are going to form a habit of of consuming your content and that is the key especially habit forming uh, and you see that as a benefit as opposed to annoying people that they have to public put <laughs> some kind of data in i mean i can think of some websites where i'm very very happy to oh yeah i like this want to read this here's my email address and actually i'm very pleased to hear from you mm -hmm. um and there are other times where it's just like i just want to read this quick thing yeah. quickly mm -hmm. I guess I your think, point about one size fits all is that it depends on the kind of thing you're publishing, right? Because definitely, yeah. if it's a quick tip type thing, you're going to be irritated that someone's taking mm -hmm. your data. But if it's the kind of place you want to engage with more and get longer term value, you're going to be happy to give your email address. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's why it's important to work on those, um, that balance of frustration and engagement, because that's going to differ on every different, every type of media, every person's individual context, because deciding to convert, whether it be through a newsletter wall or a paywall is a perfect balance of frustration and engagement. You're frustrated enough by the wall that you want to pass that you, um, but you want to read the article, but you're engaged enough in the article and the content on the site as a whole to want to then convert. And um, with a newsletter wall, for instance, on the audiences, we offer one article for free. We've set up a user journey where we have one article for free and then the newsletter wall with the idea that it's not the first article that someone reads that they're blocked on. It's the second. And that's only articles as well that we publish, not um, experts, external experts who publish articles on our, our website. And this idea for us is that it allows users to understand our content and the value that we offer before blocking them. Mm. So it, but it depends on the publication. Definitely. We're a very niche, niche publication and it's been found that on niche media sites, conversion rates are generally much higher. You have higher levels of engagement. That makes a lot of sense because if you're <clears> looking <throat> for something specific in a very specific area, you're probably more likely to a want to return you're going to get a higher level of value out of it yeah 
Uh, that yeah, that does kind of make sense to me. Uh, was it? Uh, I think I'm sure it was on your on the audiences that I read. It's about you have about ten to fifteen chances of someone hitting a paywall. That's like the peak of them happy to sign up and turn it into some kind of subscription before everyone gets annoyed and goes the other mm. way. So I think that was a report by me, the mother economics. Oh yeah, um, I think you yeah. shared it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, really interesting about the number of paywall hits before someone gets annoyed enough to turn away and um and might not subscribe and I think for me it shows the limitation of paywalls because um paywalls are obviously incredibly valuable for converting users into subscribers but you can't just keep showing someone a paywall and hope that one time it's going to work there's so many other factors that go into it um including producing quality content which is obviously the foundation but alongside that newsletters for instance or creating a, a product that's that someone wants to give their money to be able to use and having someone engage in a way that's not simply hitting the paywall. So registering, creating a free account, following topics, commenting. There's so many different engagement steps to complete, yeah. I think, aside from the paywall. And it goes back to your point, really, isn't it, that we there's no blanket answer to these things. In publishing, no, exactly. we're all kind of tempted to chase the next great big solution oh it's newsletters oh it's you know metered paywalls oh it's this look at the new york times so we must all do it etc 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 and actually the most successful publishers have a little bit more subtlety to them don't they Mm -hmm. yeah and innovation half the time is um something that we're really trying to do on the audiences for instance is give a voice to the smaller publishers or non-English speaking publishers who have used these innovative strategies and come up with something a bit different, not just copying the New York Times, who everyone talks about. And there's obviously a lot to learn from the New York Times. They're clearly successful. However, what can we learn from a tiny publisher in France who is a regional publisher, has been sending out print newspapers for their whole entire existence, and suddenly they're having all these problems with no one buying print. They're advertising revenues going down they really need to get their digital strategy um on point so then they can actually survive so they're having to be very innovative Mm -hmm. and um one example for instance is this finance based content um producer in france who added payment into the paywall itself and they found that this increased conversion rates by four so you could subscribe in the paywall you could do everything inside the paywall um there was the card filling out the card number in the paywall itself as well as your name and email address and then you'd create your account later literally in the pop-up that told you to pay you wouldn't have to click to two or three different places then Mm -hmm. back to the article you wanted to so it reduces the number of clicks it reduced the number of redirections and um the idea is that it's for people that want to read just that specific article and they used a trial offer. So it was very, very cheap, like one euro for a month. And then you, I think you received an email afterwards that was about account creation. So it was a separate step. And the idea being that then you catch those people that just want to read that one article. Yeah. No, it's clever. It's innovative, as you say, Mm -hmm. but then let's flip to the other side. What yeah. mistakes do you think online and digital publishers are making? What what would you guide against? Because look, there's there are examples of good stuff, but we all know as readers and consumers, when we hit stuff and deal with stuff that's annoying, mm-hmm. 
Go on, what are your biggest no-goes? Um, launching a paywall and leaving it. <laughs> so um, the by that, I mean, well, like we're talking about the one size fits all, that doesn't work. So you've got to adapt to the user. You also have to continuously optimize your paywall. And um, that means obviously A-B testing. Traditionally, that's quite well known. But then um, on top of that, we found that just modifying the colors in the paywall or the paywall design increases conversion rates each time. And we talk a lot in advertising about blindness to an advertising campaign and paywall should be thought of in the same way you can get paywall blindness and it's not to say that there's not anything else that goes into converting at all paywalls are the final step um but that's an important thing to factor to to think about and i think the biggest thing that we've been talking a lot about recently is how publishers are focusing on conversion rate as a single metric so um, conversion rate is a single metric was actually designed for the e-commerce industry. So, so you, basically you go how, on to, how many people click on your website and then buy something. Yeah, basically. exactly. Okay. But that's taking out the whole engagement, the whole pre-step towards subscribing. It's um, going to be a very low number and it's going to be impossible to work out actually where you're going wrong, where you're losing traffic in the funnel towards subscription. So um, what we've done is broken it down into four smaller steps, four metrics. And um, there's definitely a lot more that goes into play, um, comes into play here. But um, you've got the number of users who arrive on your site who then visit a premium content. So how many users out of your total traffic actually visit a content where they have the potential to be exposed to the paywall? Then out of those users that arrive on a paywall, a premium article, how many actually see the paywall? We found that actually a benchmark of 50% of publishers of traffic are being lost at this stage. So what's the point of building a beautifully designed paywall if 50% of the traffic what, on that page found, never see it? Yeah, what, because they found like a way with an incognito when they're to avoid a paywall because... because of um, either page load times, so the advertising slots load up faster and then the paywall doesn't load quick enough, or it's too low down the page. Mm. So you read enough of the content and then you don't need to subscribe. Never mind all um, the sneaky stuff that we, that no. people <laughs> other use to find, get rid of paywalls. Uh, no, it's, it's all fascinating. So we've got, and also I guess you're missing people in that kind of setup that you're describing, you're missing people that are happy to give you an art uh, email address because they want a free account, mm -hmm. but how do they convert into paid? How many yeah. people just scrolling through then don't come back? You can lose a lot of that data. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, publishers are underestimating the value of registration as a strategy in and of itself, because not everyone's going to subscribe to your, your content. But I think that we've just got to accept that, obviously. Yeah, by definition. So, yeah. So how can we monetize the most out of these readers who aren't going to subscribe? And registration is a brilliant way to do that. Obviously, it does increase um, propensity to subscribe, but it also um, means you can collect first party data. You can learn about your users. You can target them with adver advertising so as to increase that monetization. Um, it naturally increases engagement, which keeps them coming back to your content. 
they can interact with you. Maybe you can allow them to comment on on articles or make the most of other functionalities, UX functionalities on your site. Um, and this first party data can be used for for increasing your understanding of audiences, which then can be used to increase your number of subscribers yeah. and inform your business decisions. Yeah, I mean, I've had examples of things where I've definitely like made we got a free account. The publisher has seen I've not converted to a paid account. And so I get some kind of offer or <laughs> the classic one is you've unsubscribed. So you get a resubscribe offer a few weeks later yeah. or something when you've had a chance to miss it. So there's all those kind of things. I, I guess though, you have to make it, you have to be careful as a publisher that people don't feel like you're just a data mine that you people don't like mm -hmm. websites where they're just yeah. like they're being mined and all yeah. they want is your email address I know I get really resentful when I feel that yeah I totally understand and I, there's an increasing focus on um online users privacy data privacy and that's right. brilliant but this is why publishers should be more transparent with what you're doing, what we're doing with data. And a brilliant example that I came across recently is ITV Player. So you need to register, you need to create uh, now a free ITVX. account. ITVX, sorry, yes. <laughs> um, they created, um, they have a registration wall on their content. And um, there are separate pages for each step in the conversion funnel. So each form field has a different page and for each form field that they tell you exactly why they're collecting that piece of data so i had to fill in my date of birth and they had a little text underneath that said we're collecting this so we can show you age appropriate content and that's for me that makes me be it makes me accept that that's okay and that yeah. i'm okay to share that piece of data with them and that kind of transparency the guardian is obviously a brilliant other example um well, it the helps guard, the guardian actually sorry to interrupt but the garden is a very interesting example because you can read every article on the guardian without giving any piece of data or giving one penny mm -hmm. don't have to pay any money to read basically the whole of the guardian they obviously have services that you can you know yeah but you don't to read a news story any news story any opinion piece you don't have to hand over any money or any piece of data but you're very quickly hit with their kind of appeal to support them mm -hmm. which is a different kind of approach yeah yeah and i was when you were talking saying that i was um i was thinking about the article count and how you can turn it off but they mm -hmm. tell you at the end of articles how many articles you've consumed in a, in a month in the past year and i think obviously that's a great strategy to make you feel got value out of it that you, yeah that you should support them but it also makes me question well the fact that they're tracking me <laughs> without right, me having 100 percent, yeah yeah you know. it's an interesting line to draw because at the end of the day they still have to monetize their content in some way and um we kind of have to accept that there has to be some kind of value exchange and they can take some of our data in exchange for us being able to read articles for free however yeah. it's it's the difficult one definitely uh, well i think what our conversation has what you've perfectly demonstrated it's all a balance isn't it and it's a very the best publishers are the ones that can walk that tightrope the best and mm -hmm. we've all encountered websites and bits of uh, content where people really don't walk that tightrope very well and you're just like Ugh, please get me off yeah. this website <laughs> um let's i mean i could nerd out about all this stuff for, you for <laughs> ages but let's flip it back to the, yeah let's just flip it back to the audiences what's the kind of 
plan for how to grow it as a publication in and of itself? Yeah, so we are going to continue to invite experts to write for us, um, write published content, share their expertise, because I think it's, it's so interesting for me as well and for our team to learn about these other strategies, but also to share these, give these experts a voice and share it with the right audience. Um, but we're also organizing in-person events, which is very exciting. So um, we've got an event in Paris and another in London in October, September and October of this year. So it's worth mentioning the audiences is bilingual. So we have a French editor-in-chief as well. And so the Paris event will obviously be in French and then the London one in English. And our goal is to have an event that is content focused and just with the goal of sharing expertise, concrete strategic advice, but also bringing or the publishing professionals, sorry, publishing professionals in audience development into a room together to get everyone talking and meeting each other who then you can talk about your challenges and, and solutions and how we can support each other. I suppose we should say actually that events are one of the key, I mean, it's not really what Paul does, but it's one of the key things for publishers at the moment. Now that you can mm -hmm. have in-person events yeah. back, they're becoming more and more important to a whole host of, uh, of publishers. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, it's not just the content on stage, but also being in that room, in the room with everyone. In the room where it happens, yeah. And yeah. it's, I suppose that, that also is the type of thing that drives a subscription. If you're, you know, Tortoise is a great example of it, uh, where they're, you know, subscribers to them get invited to in-person events. But there's <laughs> lots of other places. Uh, the Times, obviously, if you have a subscription there, I think you get priority access yeah. to some events. So that's, again, another part of that kind of value proposition and, part of the subscriber journey as well isn't it yeah yeah about conversion but also retention building that relationship with subscribers and diversifying revenue streams I know you've talked quite a lot about this mm. um on your podcast every, guest, and, every yeah. guest we all have a panic <laughs> about this because it's so it's but you know we're laughing and joking but it's become more and more important because you know there is a ceiling on what people will pay for content mm -hmm. there is you know you have to you do have to have lots of different ways to get in. There's a limit on how many adverts people will tolerate yeah. and a limit on how much advertisers are willing to pay you. And so you have to make yourself as open to all these different opportunities as possible, don't you? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, it, it's been fascinating to hear from you. I'm excited to see what happens with the audiences because, well, like I said, I love a bit of a sort of nerdy B2B media. And you're <laughs> doing that very well. Um, Thank you. Is there... So as we end the conversation, is there a kind of big piece of advice for digital publishers away from this idea of, you know, not one size fits all? What's like an example you've seen working really well? What would be your big takeaway to give to publishers as you speak to them? Um, that is a very difficult question because, to be honest, one of the biggest things I've seen is there's no one size fits all for publishers either. Yeah. <laughs> I can We can publish an article on the audiences and give advice, but at the end of the day, it's going to not going to apply to every single publisher out there and everyone's in that got their own contacts with their own audience their own content and their own stage of digital transformation or of moving from just print to digital um or whatever um but i think just testing testing any strategy out even if you 
start slowly. We've seen a lot of publishers launching a digital subscription model on just their most engaged user segment. And so that's only a tiny percentage of their audience. But starting slowly, testing, moving at, moving on and developing from there, and then continuously testing, continuing to develop over time, not just, like I said, publishing, uh, launching a paywall and then leaving it to, yeah, to do its magic. Pay it won't. Not, yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Well, you've certainly given me some stuff to think about with the edition, but tell people where they can keep up with you, your work, the audiences and so on. Yeah. So the audiences.com, uh, you can sign up to our newsletter. I am the one writing the English version and Paul with three O's is our technology. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to publish quite a lot at the moment so there you go Just follow me on LinkedIn uh, Madeline White I'm not I'll, sure what I'll my make, LinkedIn is <laughs> yeah I'll make sure that there's a link to it uh, in the show notes Thank and to you. the audiences uh, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter or at Charlotte A. Henry or at Charlotte A. Henry wherever you any social network you might want to find me or not want to find me, to be honest. Uh, obviously, if you head over to theedition.net, you get the blog posts. You can subscribe to the newsletter there, and I hope you do. Otherwise, Madeline will tell me off for not converting enough people. So do, if you want to do that directly, it's newsletter.theedition.net, and you can get all the archives as well. Uh, Madeline, thank you once again for joining me, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.